Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Uh, if you are looking to take some notes this morning, we're in p- on page 12 of the journal for our Vision Sunday. Uh, before we get started into kind of our sermon series uh, layout for the year, we wanted to take one moment to, to talk about what we believe God is inviting us into as a church community. Uh, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2, just four verses as we begin. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. As, as we begin this, this ministry year together, I've been praying and thinking about what is, uh, what is the invitation for us as a community in this upcoming year. It's been quite the journey for us as a church. Uh, if I've had a chance to, to chat with you, I feel like the language I've been using of late is it feels like we've planted three churches. Uh, the pre-COVID church, the online televangelist, and then uh, right after the COVID start, uh, started to wind on down, we got back in here around January of 2022. And this past year was, was an important one for us as a church to feel like we were able to actually lean into the things that we wanted to, to lean into. Uh, things of ministry, things of, of, of formation, of, of reaching our, our city with the good news of Jesus and being able to do that together and, and being able to gather around who Jesus is, not just in idea, but in, in an action and an experience. And to do that as a community has been extremely meaningful to myself and I hope it's been something special for you as well. Um, if this is your first Sunday, we, we say this every week, whether, whatever you find yourself uh, in your relationship with Jesus, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not sure about Jesus at all, this is a place that we hope is safe for you to explore the possibility of Jesus in your life. There are, there are two points of the year that kind of bring this space of self-reflection, or reflection as a whole. Beginning of January with the calendar year seems to come with that natural rhythm and September in our in our rhythm of culture especially in in the western world or, or over here in Canada in particular where school gets started summer comes to an end it's a change of season it's a change of focus uh, perhaps the, the even just like the starting of sports leagues NHL is coming back NBA is coming back you're, you're thinking about it I'm thinking about it but it's it's a natural rhythm it's like these, these natural points of reflection when we began to, begin to look forward to what is coming. So I wonder for you this morning, what are you looking forward to? Maybe summer's been a, an opportunity to rest and relax and to catch your breath. But, but what are you thinking about going into the fall? Is there anything that you're excitedly dreaming about the hopeful possibility that it could be in, in front of you? Is there something that you're hungering for? I think hunger is, is, is a word that we associate maybe exclusively in a spiritual sense, but in many of our vocations and our relationships, hunger is something that drives a lot of our actions. 
I remember growing up that the end of the summer was always a space where I began to think about how sports would get started in the fall. Uh, basketball season was coming and I would be thinking about it, I'd be talking about it, I'd be reading about it, be preparing myself and there was this like almost hunger to get back on the court with my friends, with my team, to get the season rolling so that we can move towards the goal of finding success as a group. And sometimes it was healthy, other times it was unhealthy, it was, sometimes it was something I kept to myself, other times it my parents crazy because that's all I was thinking and talking about and doing and I think we've got some of our own kids in our kids ministry that are maybe soccer related that they're all they're thinking about is is exactly that and it's it's, it's like a hunger today my attention's obviously hopefully a little bit different uh, with with church and with family and with friendships and with responsibilities that look different than my dad driving me to tournaments on Saturday mornings. But, but we all have something. And Acts 2 is, is for many of you, going to be a text that you're incredibly familiar with. But I, I look at this passage and I think to myself, man, they were, they were hungering after something. Remember the context of the situation. Jesus had been crucified, and then he's risen from the dead. He spent time with them. They've, they've been filled up to, in many ways, and he's now ascended, and he said, I want you to go wait. At, at a baseline, I think that we can hold an assumption that they were hungry for something to happen. So what are we hungering for? I think this moment in our Western culture sits in stark contrast to what's actually happening in the world. In many ways, the, the church in the West feels like it's in crisis, while the global church is flourishing when it comes to the gospel being spread. And here's what's interesting. A lot of research is being put into what's taking place. There are statistics that show over the next year across Canada, across the U.S., we're going to see over a million young people leave the church. And it's not over sociological issues. It's not about theological debates or even big questions of faith. All those things matter, but what they're finding that it's coming down to is they're not finding Jesus particularly compelling. doesn't seem to capture their attention. There's, there's a lack of hunger within the church as a whole, and Jesus no longer seems to be all that interesting. Acts 2 is one of the moments in the church where I think we are provided with a picture of how to move forward. And for us this morning, I wanted to speak to our heart and vision and mission for this next season as a church. We're going to look at three things this morning. Presence, power, and practice. On your, on your seats, uh, you're going to find a little chocolate gold coin. Uh, like I said, some of the kids have found out that it was chocolate and were very excited. But this gold coin is meant to represent something. And I want it to be something that you, you think upon in this upcoming week or upcoming month as a whole. A coin holds value whichever side that you're looking at it. A coin is something that when it's given, it has particular value. But if, and whether it is sitting to the side or whether it is being used, that value remains. And for us, the picture that I want us to be thinking about is this value, sorry, this coin is like the presence of God. 
The, the presence of God holds value whether we engage in it or whether we don't. The presence of God is, is there and it's moving and, it's, and things are taking place whether we acknowledge it or we don't. And on either side of this coin that is the presence of God are these two ideas of power and practice. Power and practice. And in particular, I want to talk about this, this word engaging with the presence of God. Because I think we can say sometimes, I've encountered God's presence. But an encounter seems like a one-off. Encounter seems like I've experienced it on, on a singular occasion or in, a, in the space of an event. Engaging, by definition, means participating in, to get involved with. That is to say that we are being invited to not simply have a singular encounter with the presence of God that makes us feel good in the moment, but to engage with the presence of God, to see it for what it is, and to be involved in what the presence of God is looking to do in the world, and that's the building of the kingdom in and through his people. The coin holds value regardless of whether it is used or not, but the invitation is to engage with it. And whether it is one side of power or one side of practice, both engage with the presence of God. And I believe that the, this is key to what we need as a church as a whole. For us at City Collective, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Wind swept in, fire felled, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. Now what has happened is that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples, and though they did not know what was going to happen in this moment exactly. He is saying to them, you are going to encounter the very presence of God. In the upper room, fire falls, wind blows, and the world is forever changed. And it's the, the manifest presence of God coming alive within the people who are waiting on God to move. And we have forgotten what it is to wait for God to move. To expect for God to move. To hunger for God to move. And what's interesting in all this is Jesus has spent his entire ministry outlining what the kingdom of God looks like. Sermon on the Mount. The incredible teaching of this is what the kingdom should look like. And in his ascension, he does not simply say, go and start doing the things of the kingdom immediately. He says, go and wait. It's as if he's saying, do not try the kingdom mission on your own. It's a little humbling, I imagine, for those who were listening. This is particularly true for someone like Peter, who would eventually, after this falling of the Spirit, rush out and preach to the multitudes right after the moment we read together. And, and Jesus declares in Matthew 16 that Peter would be the rock on which the church would come, but simultaneously he's saying, Peter, I appreciate your heart. I think your intentions are good, but you need more than yourself in order to do the kingdom mission that is set before you. So go and pray and wait for the outpouring. And what God's going to do in this moment is he's going to shift them from an external reality of God's presence to an internal one. Taking from the mindset of an old covenant to this new covenant that is established through Jesus. 
This is the birth of a new covenant reality. Because here's the thing. The old covenant was primarily external and distant. God was in the mountain. God was in the holy of holies in the temple. And the law was something to be lived up to. And it was defined by the commandments around us. You shall do this. But there was a promise of a new covenant that came through Jesus. Where the power of God would go from out there and in here. This is what we see in this passage, where fire from up above comes upon the people. And it causes them to walk in his commandments and to keep them. It takes them from this mindset of you shall to God saying, I will. There's a shift that's taken place when the presence of God is around. This is the moments that we're focusing on. Where it goes from up, down, to in, out. There's a change that's taken place. So the first idea is that there is presence. There is the presence of God. In the, in the intertestamental period, there's a space before the Gospels and after the Old Testament, about 400 years. And... There's this idea of the omnipresence of God, which means that God is everywhere and above all things, and a term that we continue to hold. We, we believe that God is omnipresent. But throughout this period in particular, they haven't been too sure about the omnipresence of God. God, in many ways, hasn't been flexing his muscles very much in this period. He doesn't seem to be around in the same way that they might have been expecting. So when Jesus burst on the scene, he's bringing a revelation of the tangible presence of God called the kingdom of God. And he sees and he says that the kingdom of God is here. So he says, the kingdom of God has arrived with my arrival. And this is a fundamental shift in the presence of God as they understood it. From the old covenant to the new covenant. The difference is this. I want you to think of it this way. The difference is if you're sitting in a restaurant and you hear from a distance that LeBron James is having dinner in an upper room by himself, but he's in the building and you know that he's there. Versus you're sitting at your table and then you look over and there comes LeBron, sits beside you, passes you some season tickets, and shares a meal with you. His presence is there regardless, but it's a very different reality in how you experience it. There's, there's a gift and an intimacy and a friendship and a personal nature to the presence of God born out of the new covenant that we are invited to live into. There's being in the room and being in the room. This moment in Acts 2 is the manifest presence of God showing up. It's the real and true nature of God. That he isn't just everywhere, but he's right here. And this is a change in reality for those who are experiencing that moment. And it's a change for us. When God initiates the new covenant, he, it doesn't happen in the temple in Jerusalem. It happens in the people. The place, the presence of God is manifest and moving is in the hearts of God's people. It was true in that upper room and it's true today. And this means 
that when we show up for a Sunday morning gathering in your community groups, in different spaces, there is an expectation that we can hold that we will experience God's presence. Not because we have done things perfectly or prepared a perfect space, but because the generosity of God is present within his people. The presence of God itself. We don't need a special system of priests and leaders and sacrifice to, to access it. It can happen right here. This is the good news that of fire that we see in Acts 2. It's up on the mountain in the Old Testament. And the people fear it. But the New Testament, everybody gets a flame on their head. You get a flame, you get a flame. We all get a flame. It's a good thing. And we need to have this conscious shift from acknowledging the theoretical, theological reality of the presence of God to the experiential reality of the presence. Richard Owen Roberts says this. He says, the sobering truth is that the greatest hindrance to the growth of Christianity in today's world is the absence of the manifest presence of God from the church. In the Old Testament, Moses says, if your presence doesn't go up with us, then we're not going to leave. And then he asks a question. He says, how else will the nations know that we are your people? Well, the practical answer to that question is there's, some, there's many different ways that they could have known that they were God's people. Whether it was a strict diet, an ethical code that they were adhering to, circumcision that they had adopted as a practice, the way in which they organized their family systems. There are countless ways sociologically to distinctify themselves as a different people, as God's people. Number of ways. But Moses identifies this. That ultimately, all of those different things do not make the difference. That the secret is the presence. If we are not presence people, then we are not your people, is what Moses is saying. And that's what we see in Acts 2. And in Acts 2, we see this moment of power. There is power. Ultimately, the encounter that is available to us leads to the empowerment of God's people to do his mission. So why would, this, why would the Spirit move and then enable him in this, the, the people in that upper room in this way? I want you to remember who Peter is in this situation. He preaches to the multitude right after this moment. But don't forget, not long prior, he was the one rejecting his even relationship with Christ. He was the one ashamed of the fact that he had any kind of affiliation with Jesus. He went from somebody who pretended to not know Jesus to somebody willing to stand up to the very city that had killed Jesus. The only way that was possible was through the power that came upon him. And Peter didn't get a little pep talk. He didn't change his diet. He didn't start taking vitamins and start sleeping really well. Maybe he did and that helped out. But he... He said that I'm going to begin learning to wait. And the presence of God came and the power of God fell upon him. And he became something different. Teenage fishermen became apostolic martyrs at the ends of the earth because 
they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the mission of God. And I want to say this to us this morning. Wherever you are in your life, you need a fresh power for the mission of God in this moment. It does not matter how godly you perceive yourself to be. It does not matter what your streak is for your Bible reading app. It does not matter how many times you have prayed in the last 24 hours. All those things are good things, but ultimately it is not the thing that does it. It is the power upon us that begins to move us forward for mission. I remember the first time that I had an experience of God's power upon my life, that it, it didn't just leave me thinking about it really contemplatively. It, it literally left me shaken and unable to stand up to my feet. That it kept me in this place of awe and reverence of who God was. That the story of who we are as a church is born out of a moment in which I believe God spoke so clearly to me that this is what he desired to, to go and plant a church here in the lower mainland. And, and it shook my life to its very core. When the power of God comes upon us in real situations, it, can, it doesn't leave us the same. And here's the thing, I, I come out here and I got so blessed to be around some amazing teachers and preachers and, and people who came alongside and I learned techniques and I wasn't supposed to become a pastor. I had to learn a lot along the way. Techniques and programs and practices and strategies of, of how to do church and history and philosophy and theology. All wonderful things I was able to, to grow and be exposed to. And what I've discovered is sometimes, because of all those th good things, I can forget the moment in which power came. I think it's fascinating how much we can get done in the modern church without God. But it's like a plant that withers. It's like a tumbleweed without roots. It does not sustain anything, and it is not something that we can sustain. And we've reached a cultural moment where people don't care how good church is if God is not there. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So this is my honest reflection. This summer has been a time of deep uh, like repentance and reflection. Lord, I have forgotten what your power looks like in my life. Reveal to me again. Remind me again. I've somehow lost the fire in moments that I want upon my heart. I want to get that back. I want to be back into that place. We need another, another Pentecost to take place within my heart, within the hearts of our church family. We need fresh fire coming through the roof. And I need another river of passion to pour out of my life. And I need fresh prayer burdens. I need to feel like there is more taking place than just good thinking. How about you? Is there hunger? Is there longing? Is there desire for something more than what you are currently experiencing? We're so quick to hunger at the things that we can tangibly control ourselves, but can we hunger after the, the things that are going to come from surrender and submission to who God is? 
And then the third idea is practice. Now, this, this season of reflection for myself puts me in this radical space of seeking God. This, this two-sided coin is meant to represent the presence of God. And one side is power and the other side is practice. Both are engaging with the presence of God. Did you notice that? Power, whether it's in moments of worship or it's in, in moments of just being open to the Spirit, that's engaging with the presence of God. But same with a practice of prayer, a practice of Sabbath, a practice of Scripture, practices that are meant to build up the life of the believer so that they can be a willing and ready vessel for the Spirit to fill and overflow from. We need both. So for us as a church, this next season, I believe, is a re-energizing commitment of whether it's reorganizing services and church and our planning what our focuses are, are, are going to be, calling us to a communal sense of, of prayer and fasting. On the 17th, we're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I would invite you to take that seriously. To not just be something that you talk about with people on a Sunday morning, but to commit yourself in a way that you could be praying with an urgency and with a hunger for God to do something in our city and within our church, within our families, within ourselves that is beyond what we are seeing right now. We are needing to lean in together. It can't simply just be a Sunday morning sermon. Or a feeling in a moment. This has to be engaging. To be involved with. To be leaning in. This is a call to our church community. Prayer warriors rise up. Teachers rise up. Leaders, creatives. Those who are operating in the gifts of the spirit. We need everybody and anybody to start to say. My heart has to be more than what it is. Because the power of God does something special within me. The power of God is available to us and to you. And alongside that, I feel a caution and an encouragement. I think there's a grace upon our church for a season in which the Spirit of God can and will move through our community. But we can't simply lean into power. We have to be present in the practice. We need to establish the discipline and character to sustain a move of God. Encountering the presence of God isn't enough. Engaging with it is preparation of practice that holds us with the power to move into the future. At the beginning of Acts 2, the power comes in, falls upon those in the upper room. And then at the end of Acts 2, they take all of that power and they build it into tangible practices so that they can use that power for the mission of God. Verses 42 to 47 talks about they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to generosity, to community. The wind and the fire, they were poured into shared discipleship practices in the church. Because here's the thing, the power of God can become power tools in the hands of a toddler when practice is lost in our engagement with the presence. This is what happens when you see anointing exceeding character. 
when gifting exceeds reflection, when numerical or communal growth exceeds depth. Practice matters. Dallas Willard says this. He says, The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the end kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of the human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. The gifts of the Spirit are not a substitute for holiness. And simultaneously, we don't want to think that the practices of holiness are substitutes for the power of God. We need both sides of the coin in our community. We need teaching because culture has its own false narrative of truth being propagated widely. We need fellowship and deep love because division is all around us and is taking place within our time in a way that is splitting families and relationships that are on, on, on the edge. We need the breaking of bread. We need spaces like communion taking place, but we also need invitations to the table. One of the costs within the pandemic was this belief that I don't actually have to share a meal with those around me anymore. We have forgotten the value of such a practice, and we need to pray. If anything, that's the, the first thing we should be doing. And not just based on events or a calendar-driven idea or just because we do 21 days of prayer, but we need to have a lifestyle of prayer that becomes who we are. And here's the key in all this. Repetition is formation that makes the impact of power more than a moment. Repetition is formation that makes the impact of power more than a moment. Think of it this way. If you're in a room and the lights are off, and then suddenly there's a surge of electricity that causes all the lights to turn on and everyone's so happy and excited and then it turns off immediately. Maybe you remembered how good that light was and you begin to search for the switch. You hope that the light comes back. How much better would it be though to have established practice and place and community established some kind of system within the place that when the power comes, it is sustained. The light doesn't go away. The light remains and becomes familiar and it becomes a place where you invite others to come be part of it. We desire and we hunger for the power of God, but the practices we engage in are the ways in which we prepare a place that sustains the power that we so desperately need. Our spirituality cannot be just moments that come together every so often. It needs to be lifestyle. It needs to be an ongoing place that we're engaging in. Now, we want to be a place where the miraculous takes place because that is who God is. We want to be a house of miracle where life transformation, words of encouragement, prophetic words and healings, they, they take place because we believe that's who God is. But we also know that formation happens in a specific pattern. If I was to pray and I, I would be like, I want to lose 50 pounds— and I'm just, I just pray, God, would you, would you take away 50 pounds? And God takes away 50 pounds. What is likely to happen? There is no practice. There is no formation. There is no, there is no habit built around it. What happens likely is I'm going to put that 50, 50 pounds back on because I still love candy. 
Sometimes we're praying for God to do the miraculous when the reality is if the miraculous happens, we will be the ones who hurt it the most. We need the practice along with the power. This year we're going to be engaging particularly with three practices, three four-month segments. The first four months, September through December, we're focusing on prayer. This next series is going to be four weeks on prayer. We're going to be taking time to have 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to break the fast even together as a church in a brunch. We're going to have moments like nights of prayer and worship. We want to be a, a church that leans into this space of prayer. The next four months after that are going to be just around scripture. How do we read the, the scripture? How do we actually intellectually engage with it and honestly see it come to life within our communities? And then finally, the, the third one we'll engage with this year is the idea of Sabbath. How do we actually find rest in the chaos of a busy world? And I believe that God has placed all of this on my heart. Because this is the path for us moving forward. One of power and practice. Worship team, you can join me at the front. We need power and practice. And power is this. Power gives us encounter, passion, anointing, breakthrough, manifestations, urgency, crowd, movement, gifts. Practice gives us formation, discipline, faithfulness, process, skills, sustainability, health, and character. And these two pieces together are transformational. And it's not just a new idea that I've come across suddenly in its novelty. This is the story of Scripture that we see in Acts 2, but this is also the story that we see in history. A couple of years ago, I was able to spend some time in London, and I came across a story that captured my imagination. Perhaps you've, you've heard of it before, but I hope that you can stay with me. Uh, a, a group called the Moravians under Zeisendorf are considered to be, men, by many, one of the most integrated practice and power communities in Christian history. So he was a German noble that acquired land from his grandmother. And in the 1700s, there was a lot of upheaval between religious institutions and cultural institutions. And it, it had caused many to, to have to flee persecution that was taking place within Germany. And they actually ended up, many of them, upon this piece of land. And they asked him, could they establish this village? And he said, yes, I would be honored if you did so. I, I would love to be able to create space for you to establish a village together. Now this is a person with a tremendous wealth that was actually engaging with what the Church of Acts was doing, was giving all that he could towards them. But this community that was established became incredibly divided. It was people of a high church background, a low church background, different cultural backgrounds, different ethnicities, all gathering together in this place, as well as different theological distinctions. Calvinists and Arminians, you know, I know, that's a tough, that's a tough mix sometimes. And they found themselves in this place where they ended up saying, we cannot coexist. And, and Zizendorf, he said that he was, he was grieved by this. Can't you unify yourself? Even just around the simple idea that you are all persecuted together. And so what he ended up doing is he ended up going home to home. He went door to door over a period of weeks. And he pleaded with each family represented. And eventually he had a couple hundred people agree to put aside their differences and unite in Jesus. 
And then on August 13th, 1727, they came together for a communion service. And after everybody had united their hearts on that day, the presence of God fell on that community during communion. And, and they say that for the next 12 to 13 hours, they literally could not tell if they were on heaven or on earth. That it was a space that overwhelmed their imagination of what God could do. And any time they felt like it was coming to, end, to an end, it would swell up again. And they'd be so overwhelmed by the power of God that was meeting them in that moment. And they began to ask the question, God, why did you do this? This place where the church was, it wasn't of incredible significance. Hernhut, Germany. It wasn't a, a capital. It, it wasn't an economic engine. It wasn't an art center. It was none of those things. But if you go there, you see the simplicity of the statement. The simple principle that God comes where he is wanted. Not where it is strategic according to humanity. And hunger is opening the door to one who knocks. And the Holy Spirit came and it moved in a massive way. And there was an outpouring that caused missional movements to be birthed out of this small community. They, they, they decided that the only way that they could sustain the power that they had experienced was to engage in prayer. And so they actually held a lottery amongst all the families. People were hoping for the 4 p.m. slot. Some of them got the 4 a.m. slot. And so they ended up going for 24 hours of prayer. And they sustained this for over 100 years. And when they would get asked, why are you doing this? They would say, we're going to be a people who bring Jesus' message to the ends of the earth. This was a period of human history in which there was new avenues being trailed and blazed all across the world to new people groups and to new nations and to new places. And there was one there was two individuals who heard of this small island in the British Isles where you would have to be a slave in order to actually go there, to actually live there. And they decided that we want to bring the good news of Jesus there. And so they actually sold themselves into slavery to bring the gospel to those people. And you can read the accounts of it that it was an extraordinary moment where they're being sent off by their community as they declare, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And they go to this island. They bring the good news of Jesus. And 2,000 people give their lives to Jesus. And they establish a community that is a, a, a small church and it's a robust community and it begins to live a life in, in, in such a way that it was a testimony of what God was doing. Within that hundred years, there was another moment in which there was a ship going from the British, uh, from the UK, all the way over to the US. And there was a storm that hit this ship, and there was an individual who happened to be on this ship by the name of John Wesley. And the ship was carrying the Moravians. And he notes in his journals that they had something that he did not understand. They had the peace of God. And he arrived in the U.S. and he failed dramatically. And he returned to the, to the U.K. asking the question, what did they have that I don't? Fast forward a couple years and there is a New Year's Eve service that's taking place. It's 
being hosted by the Moravians. And in John Wesley's journal, he talks about he was just reading the opening dialogue for an epistle. And he was part of this, this prayer meeting with the Moravians. And Wesley was there. And there was another individual by the name of George Whitfield. And the power of God fell upon that group in that, in that moment. I was at a church in Oxford where they say that they literally ran Whitfield and Wesley to this church asking God, would you lead me? What, what should I do next? Wesley and Whitfield become two of the most significant figures for the movement of God in the world. One final one. William Wilberforce, British parliamentarian, advocating for the abolishment of slavery. One of the key arguments that he's having to overcome is that they're saying if they release slaves, they will just turn on their masters and kill them. Wilberforce hears about an island where 2,000 slaves have come to Jesus in revival, and they're living at peace and working in their conditions in a God-honoring way. And Wilberforce points to this group and there's two young men who sold themselves into slavery and started a revival. And he uses that as a reference point in Parliament to overthrow slavery in the British Empire. This, this church of a few hundred people in the middle of nowhere encounter the presence of God, engage with the presence of God, commit to prayer and practices, to build a container so that the power that will come, does come, might be carried forward. And they become discipled people hungry for more. And they have this commitment to power and practice. And they spark one of the greatest movements of revival in history through John Wesley, one of the greatest evangelists in, in, in the U.S. and George Whitfield, and the abolishment of slavery through someone like William Wilberforce. And there are countless other stories of what took place in this people of prayer. Here's the point. I want you to see how potent power and practice is when it comes together in community. And the question I believe we're left with is, do you want to be one of those communities? Do I want to be part of one of those communities where we hunger for the power of God and engage in the presence of God, where I am committed to practice and formation and engage in the presence of God. That two-sided coin is not something I look at on the counter, but I hold within my hand each and every day. You're not here by accident. You're not here to manage secondary issues or to have nice Sunday moments. You're here for this moment. Will we hunger for the presence of God? Will we commit to practice? Will we long for His power? you bow your heads with me? If you're saying yes this morning, if you're saying, yes, I want that, I don't know how to start, I don't know where to start, I don't know what I need to do, but if you're just saying yes, know that Jesus is the one who stands at the door and knocks, and yes can simply be that you're opening that door. It's not that you have to get your life perfectly right or say the exact right words, but it's simply saying, 
yes, God, I need you. Use me. Here I am. I'm opening the door. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beauty of what we see in the book of Acts. And we thank you, God, that you're the God of history. And not just one that's past, but, Lord, we know you're moving in every generation. And so we say, God, move in us. We know that you put us here for a purpose. So we say, Lord, use us. Pour out your spirit, Lord. We pray fresh wind and fresh fire. We also pray discipline and practices to sustain us so that we could be people who share your good news to the ends of the earth. We need to hear your voice this morning. Fill within us a fresh conviction for what you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.